0: Hey, everyone. George Edelman here, editor-in-chief at No Film School. And today's episode of the No Film School podcast is all about a topic that I have been pretty outspoken in disliking, the Academy Awards. It's this month. It is the biggest movie award event of the year. You've probably heard of it. You've probably heard us talk on this podcast all about it and many times heard me and Charles and our other co-hosts complain about how there can be no best movie or best any of these things. And the whole thing is just this marketing PR ratings play and et cetera, et cetera. But despite all that, we're turning over a new leaf this year. We're talking to Dave Karger, who is a host at TCM. And if you're familiar with the podcast and me, you also know that I love TCM and I love old movies. <laughs> Film theory is my thing. And film history is awesome. So we're combining a thing I don't like with a thing I do like because there's actually a real nice little crossover. And there's an opportunity for growth here today. We're talking about how TCM's month of March is going to be all about Oscar winners. And as it turns out, well, a lot of classic movies on TCM are also Oscar winners. So maybe I don't hate the Oscars as much as I thought I did. The big point of today's episode is to encourage people to study film history, study the movies of the past, watch them, appreciate them, see them in their context and learn to love them and learn about filmmaking and the craft that way. That's a mission of mine that I'd love to spread to everybody. But one of the reasons we're talking about it is because we're going to talk about the history of the Oscars with Dave, who is a an historian on the Oscars in particular, he's encyclopedic in his knowledge of what won what, what year and how and why and everything about it puts me to shame on that stuff because yes, I know a lot about old movies, but I do not know what they won or didn't win or were nominated for. And it's really fun to talk to somebody who can just rattle that stuff off as we go. We talk about the great movies that won nothing. We talk about the great movies that won weird things. We talk about the categories that really indicate what are the best movies if there really is such a thing. And hint, hint, it's not best picture. Um, we talk about our tastes and we talk about what the Oscars mean today versus 10 years ago versus 100 years ago. Holy crap. Coming up on that, honestly. So anyway, this is really fun. I love talking to Dave and I love old movies and I hope you enjoy this and learn some weird trivia that you'll be able to share at your Oscar party. And definitely be sure to watch TCM this Maybe you can give me a little give our audience a little historical context on the Academy Awards, their beginnings and how they sort of evolved to what we know today.
1: Yeah, well the Oscars started in the late 1920s around the time of the transition between the silent era to the sound era of films. And at first, the very first year of the Oscars was just a small dinner about 250 people. The winners knew 3 months ahead of time that they One, the whole thing took about 15 minutes. It was not broadcast (laughs) in any way. It was just this kind of quick little uh, ceremony, if you will, at the Roosevelt Hotel in in Hollywood, which still exists. And then over the years, it, it, as everyone knows, of course, has grown into this massive event where first it started being broadcast on the radio. And then in the early 1950s is when they began televising it. And now, you know, with the whole... Hollywood star system in in full effect over the last seventy five years or so, it's just turned into this you know complete insane now months long season and obviously the heyday of the Oscar ratings viewership numbers where people were watching you know 30, 40, 50, million, 50 million people were watching the Oscars that's over right
0: yeah <laughs> real quick on that what what do you say what would you say now looking. Uh, because I don't know the answer to this. I have, th- I have guesses, but I'm curious if you actually know what was the official like peak where, what was the, maybe the five to 10 year span?
1: Uh, well, the, the biggest year in in my understanding was the Titanic year. And I uh, think it was like 57 million people were watching the Oscars that so year. 97, 98. Yeah, 98. Like yep. yeah. And then, you know, the Lord of the Rings year in the early 2000s was also really big and now i think last year's oscars were nomad land one and it was kind of this, this smaller event at the la train station i think was about 10 or 12 million now that's still a, a nice number in in this day and age for a non football telecast yes but the the days of you know dozens and dozens of millions of people watching the oscars are are certainly over but i think what has surprised me in the now 27 years that i've been doing entertainment, journalism, and media in some shape or form is just what a massive undertaking it is for so many people. It's not just the Golden Globes and the Oscars and that's it. It starts with film festivals. It's a months-long season with events and mailings and screenings and Q&As and parties and kissing babies and all of this stuff that I never really thought was part of the equation until I began my career as an entertainment journalist in the mid-1990s.
0: Yeah, and a lot of that is driven by, I guess, the marketing that comes with the success of having some awards, right? Because movies are marketed as well around the so-and-so winner, nominated X number of times. It becomes kind of a, a part of their asking price for when they get opportunity. Like it changes your career trajectory and... And all of that. So agencies care, all the power brokers care, right? When they're packaging films and stuff like that. That would have not been the case, say, in the 30s, correct?
1: No, I mean, obviously, anyone who won an Oscar, I mean, yes, in the 30s, I would imagine it was an award that was new. So it didn't have the prestige to the extent that it does now. Certainly, it it mattered. Certainly, people wanted it. Joan Crawford very famously wanted it very badly (laughs) in the mid-1940s for Mildred Pierce, and she got it. But yes, obviously, it's in our lifetimes where it's become this massive selling point. And it's exactly what you just said. It sells the movie in question. They put it in ads. It helps for, well, back in the day, it helped for DVD sales. I don't know if your listeners know what DVDs are. Um, but, (laughs) But yes, it also does help the person's career. Now, there are many cases of Oscar winners who didn't go on to as much as they would hope. Halle Berry speaks very openly, for instance, about how after she won for Monsters Ball 20 years ago, her career prospects didn't really pick up like she expected them to. But there are also lots of cases of people who, for whom it really does help, and, and it's just the feather in the cap.
0: Yeah, and you know, you're here. I want to talk to you about old movies, and I love TCM and I love old movies. Like that's my obsession. (laughs) So I'm very excited to talk more, uh, to get more specifically into the Oscars of yore. One of my favorite stories is John Ford repeatedly not even showing up when he won Oscars. And I think that's sort of an indicator of how somebody at one time was widely considered one of the greats. He consistently has been recognized as a great director. He won a lot of Oscars, he never seemed to care very much. And I always look at it as sort of an example of like, at some point, I think our culture, our, our audience culture, started to think that that winning an Oscar was sort of like winning the Super Bowl. And I think that's not how a lot of filmmakers used to see it. I don't know how many of them still do. You You bring up a really good example of Joan Crawford, someone who really wanted one and cared. Could you talk a little bit about the evolution of that and, and just the historically, it was not seen as like, you made a good movie if you won an award in an Oscar. That's yeah, not, I, mean, I think, how they viewed it.
1: Yeah. You mentioned John Ford, who I think holds the record for the most best director wins. He's won four times. Or he, he won four times. No one has, no other director has won that many Oscars. But the Oscars are full of, Oscar history is full of people who would not show up. So besides him, Catherine Hepburn, she very rarely, if ever, actually showed up. Oh, I up. didn't know that
0: because she, she had a record. She has her. some record number two, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, right. So she never actually was there in person, um, you know, for her three or four wins. And then George C. Scott famously didn't show up. Marlon Brando famously didn't show up. Woody so yeah, Allen. I think yeah. It, it kind of ebbs and flows. And you know, just most recently, think back to how this past Oscars ended. With Anthony Hopkins, they saved Best Actor for the last award in a head-scratching kind of way. Maybe they thought mm-hmm. it was rabbit Boseman, and then he wasn't even there to accept his Oscar. So I do think it has been this ebb and flow of people feeling like it was something they really wanted, but also it seemed unseemly to kind of campaign for it. And, mm. you know, and there was Monique when she was up for Precious, and it was so clear that she was going to win, but she wanted to be paid for appearances and promotional opportunities but so so she didn't really do much but then she still won the oscar so there's all these different ways to do it and i think oscar history has shown us that there's no one way to win or lose an oscar i remember when melissa leo was up for the fighter and she was not happy with the ads that paramount was putting out or, or the number of ads that she was getting so she created her own for your consideration ad and put it I into didn't And everyone was saying, oh, Melissa Leo has just lost the Oscar for herself. She's shot herself in the foot with (laughs) unseemly ads. Well, she won. So for for everyone like me or you who obsesses over the ins and outs of the campaign season and and what people are doing right and wrong, there are just as many, if not more, actual Oscar voters (laughs) who really are approaching this in a very pure way and not really either choosing not to focus on any of the awards season, you know, uh, campaigning or they pay attention to it but they actively decide not to let that influence their vote.
0: Right. And we do all forget. We like audiences everywhere they forget that this is not uh this is a subjective battle. It's not a meritocracy. It's not a like it, you didn't win the the trophy because you made the best movie even though that's what it's called. It's, we also forget that a lot of people are voting. They just Random people, really, in the Academy. I want to ask you about, you know, you guys are going to be showing in chunks, really from decades on TCM. To highly recommend to all of our listeners, again, as I always do, watch TCM. It's amazing. You'll learn so much about filmmaking, not just from all the conversations that happen in between the movies, but these movies themselves. If you study them, you get the goods. But aside from that, these are winners. Do you feel in the kind of curation of the lists for the decades, are there things that hallmarks of of a certain decade that it's like, it seems like the Academy in the the 1940s really prioritized X versus the way they look when we look at the 60s. And I know there's going to be obviously the changes that come with just culture, like movies of the 60s are different. But do you think that the Academy's tastes, are they inconsistent from time to time or could you say like best picture winners are pretty much always like this?
1: Well, so just to kind of tack on to what you were saying for TCM in the month of March for our annual 31 Days of Oscar Festival, usually we show a month worth of just Oscar nominated and Oscar winning movies. This year, as you mentioned, every movie we're showing is an Oscar winner from for the whole month of March. And we have arranged it by decade, so every Monday is Oscar winners from the late 20s and 30s. Tuesday is the 40s. Wednesday is the 50s. Thursday is the 60s, and Friday is the 70s. And then we show movies from my lifetime in uh, the uh, we over the weekend 80s, 90s, and even some movies from the 2000s. We're showing the Iron Lady and the Artist, and um, some movies that and that are actually from the I last. I know
0: it's inevitable that that movies from my lifetime. Become a part of TCM because they are classics, but it, uh, it's unsettling to me to consider anything <laughs> post no. my in that, in that time frame in our lifetime as part of it. I'm like, no, no, no let's let's keep let's keep that it's, stuff considered. It's pressing. true.
1: I, I actually like it. I actually like it when we expand a little bit and show. I mean, I was born in the early 70s, so I actually like it when we show movies from the 80s and 90s. It the bread and butter of TCM is always going to be 30s, 40s, 50s, and some 60s. But I think mm-hmm. this Oscar month allows us to spread our wings a little sure. bit. Sure. But to answer your question, you know, as I was looking and thinking about it, i it's, of course, this is a wild generalization that I'm about to make, but I think in the first decade of the Oscars, you saw a lot of kind of war movies and musicals being awarded, these kind of spectacle films, if you will, mm. of different sorts. Then once the 40s rolled around, I think that the trend was more towards what I would call issue oriented films. You saw The Grapes of Wrath winning or Gentleman's Agreement, which tackled anti Semitism or The Lost Weekend, which dealt with alcoholism. Alcoholism, And then the late 50s and 60s is kind of more of this epic era, Mm -hmm. right? All the the David Lean movies and also movies like Ben-Hur. And then I think you have the star system of the the 80s kind of driving a lot of the Oscar wins. And then in the 90s and then 2000s, you see the international part and and Mm -hmm. influence of the voting body becoming more diverse, particularly in the director's branch and the writer's branch. Mm. And, you know, and and when I say international, I also mean British films like Shakespeare and yeah. Love doing really well in the late 90s. But then I think that's been the hallmark of the last 10 years, for sure, you know, with The Artist and Parasite and Roma and films like that doing very well in uh, not just the, not just a foreign language film category. So I think that's the general kind of trend and ebb and flow and evolution, if you will, of, of the Oscars. But I have to say, by and large, I'm not one of these people who likes to bash the Oscars. I'm not saying that's what you're doing. But I think overall, the Oscars have had really good taste. And mm-hmm. I know there's some people that don't like Crash and don't like Green Book. And there's that list mm-hmm. of, of Oscar winners that seem to you know make everyone's skin crawl. Sure, I, I agree that Crash should have lost to Brokeback Mountain, but I do think overall the Academy has has some has good taste and shines a light on movies that otherwise people might not necessarily be watching.
0: I have come around to this point. I have traditionally uh, even on on this podcast often been very negative about the idea of the Oscars and and the idea of what they choose and not even just the specific choices because that I do believe is very subjective. You know, what I think shouldn't win doesn't mean it shouldn't win. It's more that I get frustrated by the idea of a winner, a best in in these fields. But I love something you just brought up is something I've really come around on, which is this is a chance to shine a light on movies that people might not otherwise see. And as it's expanded the last few years, as we have seen different voting bodies bring out different filmmakers from different places with different perspectives, we are kind of giving an opportunity for those to be seen more widespread. So I am kind of with you there. I, I get more excited about it for that reason. It creates a watch list for people. Wow. You mentioned Brokeback Mountain, which didn't win that year, which is the kind of movie that sh- should have every award that movies can get in a way. <laughs> but but I, what it reminds me of is I think it won Adapted Screenplay. And yes. I, I bring that up because... I have always had this this belief that, um, and I'm curious what you think of this, that the screenplay awards tend to, the nomination categories tend to be a list of just consistently evergreen classics, whereas Best Pictures often, when I look at the year-to-year-to-year-to-year, feel like they are more... I don't want to say something negative like prisoner of the moment because that's not it, but they are a part of a trend or a cultural shift or what is epic at the time, like you said, or what is, you know, relevant in the moment in a way that I, you know, you'll see like a Maltese Falcon will always be nominated for a screenplay or a Chinatown, but they probably won't win best picture. Do you have thoughts about like categories that we can as, as audience and filmmakers look at that, that consistently t- cause, cause since you guys have this, this month long programming and we are tuning in, but you also have things about, I, I see like, oh, it's going to be cinematography winners or mm-hmm. uh, supporting actor winners. Or do you, you know, as a historian, do you look at certain categories and think this would be a great example of, of X kind of, obviously with cinematography, you'll see great camera work, but, I, <laughs> but you know, specific thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. And I have to say my thoughts are a hundred percent in line with yours. I would say it's the screenplay categories that are the ones and it's the same with the Emmys by the way if you look at the history of the mm. Emmys a, a great show usually wins in the writing category in its first or second year before and then it ends up losing that same year for best series and then in the next couple of years it kind of graduates to uh, to a win in the overall se- in the overall series categories and I would say just if you think about in the last 20 years in the screenplay category get out beat the Shape of Water. I love The Shape of Water, right. but that yes. get out screenplay is is what it's all about. Yes. You have <laughs> yeah, like, totally. It's mind blowing. Yeah. Right. You have movies like Lost in Translation, which is my favorite film from the last 30 years. That one for Sofia Coppola for screenplay. It didn't win for Best right. Picture. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That one for screenplay. And then you look at movies that they've nominated, that the writer's branch has nominated for Oscars just in the last 10 years. Ex Machina, The Lobster. Mm-hmm. Nightcrawler, the writer's branch is way more, I would say, adventurous than Mm. the academy votership at large. And I think that's why you sometimes get these great, even this year, uh, the worst person in the world was nominated for screenplay. And I think mm-hmm. that delighted a lot of people who have seen that movie and who and think it's very, very interesting. And so I like the surprises that the writer's guild, the writer's branch, I should say, often bring into it. And I would say the director's branch does a similar thing. You know, when you, when you have Thomas Winterberg getting nominated for Uh, Best director for another round, or or David Lynch being nominated Mm. for best director for Mulholland Drive in a year where that movie got no other nominations except, but it got best director, or Fernando Morales getting nominated for best director for City of God for a movie that had been released in some countries like a year and a half earlier, but then it still managed to get that big nomination. So I think if if you're looking for the future, you look at the directors branch and the especially the writers branch.
0: You mentioned a few movies that I wish people talked about more or thought about more. That I think because they don't win big awards or are nominated, they may be like ex machina. Great, great point. City of God. I think that's one of the best. Just as far as walking into a movie cold and being absolutely blown away, it's another one of those just incredible pieces of filmmaking. That yeah, it didn't it didn't really fit the right box for the awards sequences seasons. And yet, it should be, like you said earlier, a light should be shined on it. So it's great that it's on that nomination list. And I like the idea of nominations, not just winners. This year, there's so many winners. It makes sense that you guys are focusing on programming winners,
1: certainly. It makes, it's like the creme de la creme, if you will. So it's, it's really great.
0: Yeah, and there's so many... Uh, a movie can win so many different things that, you know, you can... The best picture... So best picture is voted on by everybody in the Academy. The others are, or nominated, I should say, right? By everyone in the Academy. The others are guild or group specific, which is part of why you get that specificity in writers, directors, et cetera.
1: That's right. And then once the nominations come out, every Academy voter gets to vote on the winners, which some people don't even think is right. Some people think that even when the nominations are determined that, that the gen- some general Oscar voters don't necessarily understand what makes mm. best sound uh, a worthy a movie worthy for best sound. So there are some people who are total purists who think that still in the winners round, only the specific branches should be voting for the winners. Because and because what happens is oftentimes, I'm sure you've heard people say this, a lot of time ta- a lot of movies that win in some of the technical categories win for having the most of whatever mm-hmm. they have. Oh yeah, so, sure so like very famously when Bohemian Rhapsody won for best editing and everyone laughed <laughs> it was because that movie had so much editing that I guess that you know the regular voters just went okay, had a lot of editing you know they saw
0: a timeline with all these cuts and they were right. like that's so yeah. much work which is loudest,
1: not, yeah the loudest right, movie the loudest for the right. sound
0: or the most effects for the effects it's a it's the a funny costume. point and I yeah, <laughs> I laugh because it's also sort of like but it's Fair, because how? what is another way to gauge? You know, if you're not within that community and that's not your world or your craft, it's not necessarily going to be something you understand. Like how maybe sometimes the scalpel is a more impressive tool than a, the sledgehammer. Just because yeah. it's not used utilized a ton doesn't mean it wasn't used well. It's kind of something I wanted to ask you about too, which is do you think or are you aware... There has been a movement to talk about stunt people being recognized Do you think there are things, not like anybody wants the Oscars to be longer, but forgetting the telecast aspect of it and just thinking about it as a way to recognize greatness? Are there categories you feel that consistently should be recognized?
1: I know there's some people who think there should be, well, you mentioned stunt performers. There's also people who think there should be a best casting Oscar. Uh, Um, And there are some groups that do that. Casting directors have no... You know, no real presence at the in the Oscar telecast. Although I, there are many casting directors in the Academy, so I think that's something interesting. And then one one idea that I've had over the years, although I'm kind of iffy about my own idea, is much in the way that the Grammys have not just Album of the Year but Record of the Year, acknowledging a, an actual single. I thought, wouldn't it be fun if the Oscars had Best Scene of the Year? Mm. And so, like if you think about it a couple of day, a couple of years ago, even though a star is born didn't win best picture, I think I would vote for the scene where Lady Gaga goes on stage with Bradley Cooper for that first time as that was the best scene I've seen. I saw in any movie that year. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun to have a best scene Oscar and it wouldn't necessarily be the movie that wins best picture.
0: I like that idea because it takes apart the, the massiveness of a movie, just like mm-hmm. the way the awards do by signaling out different tasks. But it takes apart like the pieces so we can study and examine and decide about like, you know, talking about things like the best scene is, is an interesting idea. I'm sure there's mm-hmm. other things that, that other ways you could bisect stuff like best dialogue or I don't know. MTV always had best kiss. Right. But i right. <laughs> joking. But like this is just ways that you can like have things that bring attention to other aspects of the craft where, you know, the t- having to say in total this movie is the best movie is so challenging. And and it just brings up so many questions, like how do we measure them against each other? We ha- we have some way to say like this is this writing versus this writing, even that's tough. But it feels like saying best movie is so hard. I mean, when people ask you what you think should win, do you ever have an answer, or do you just sort of think like, well, I really loved X Y Z?
1: Oh, I always have an answer. I always have my personal favorite, <laughs> um, and oftentimes it's in line with you know with what ends up. Winning or or being in top contention. But you're right, I think a lot of times it's just a question of taste. I mean, if you look at the movies that are at the forefront of this year's Oscar race, Belfast, Power of the Dog, Dune, King Richard, West Side Story, you know, yes, they're all they're all exceptionally made films, but a lot of it will come into what are you a fan of? Or do do more sentimental mm-hmm. movies speak to you? Because then if so, then you're probably more likely to Have Belfast as your number one pick. If you're if you love musicals, well, then West Side Story was you know made to perfection. Do you like something that's a little bit more challenging? Well, then there's the Power of the Dog. If you like a sports film, there's King Richard. So yes, I think to your point, it's it's it is apples and oranges in a lot of ways, and it just depends on if you like apples or oranges better.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I want to ask too on that note, like because you know there are with ten or up to ten, there are it's hard to find one that that people a lot of people love that isn't somewhere on the list. But this year, I was thinking about movies that we... I was thinking about this idea of shining the light and and the list of all the... I mean, your, your guy's list of winners, they're all movies people should see. Are there movies you ever think about, and it's certainly in the context of TCM, that have no wins or, or nominations that are just like amazing movies (laughs) we should study and cherish. I mean, I know the answer is yes, but are there some examples maybe that are just like, you know, like that really stand out to you? Because I'm not enough of an Oscar historian to know, like, maybe there's a few that I love that just have none.
1: Yeah. Well, one of my favorite movies of all time is Broadcast News. And I just watched it again recently on an airplane and it so Mm. holds up you know, all of these mm-hmm. 35 years later. And that did get seven Oscar nominations, including best picture. And uh-huh. I didn't get best director nomination, but like the entire cast was nominated in the screenplay. And the fact that that went home with nothing is, I just don't understand that. Do the Right mm. Thing very famously only had two yeah, nominations, yeah, yeah. screenplay, and I think Danny Aiello and, and that lost both. The Color Purple is the movie that I think holds or ties the record for most nominations, 10, without winning anything. Martin Scorsese movies have, back in the day, ha- and even more recently, have this long history of getting zero true. Oscars, like Taxi Driver and Mean Streets and The Irishman. Shawshank Redemption is a movie that got a whole bunch of Oscar nominations, I think seven, and including right. Best Picture and lost them all. Yeah, you're and, reminding yeah,
0: me. I think, did Goodfellas win anything? Did Goodfellas win screenplay? So Pesci, I think,
1: won for Goodfellas.
0: Oh, Pesci, that's right. Yeah, okay.
1: but, uh, but yeah, no, so... No, you're right. Josh Hink, I mean, there's a lot of people, Gen X, people who say Shawshank yes. Redemption is their favorite <laughs> movie of all time. And, yes. uh, and that didn't get it. And then I would add, just for the TCM of it all, I would add Singing in the Rain is a movie that only had two Oscar nominations, shockingly, uh, including a supporting actress, Gene Hagen, and I think Screenplay, and that lost both. But the fact that that wasn't nominated for Best Picture is crazy. And then It's a Wonderful Life doesn't have any Oscars either.
0: Oh my God. Well, that not one's crazy so many, to me because so that many. I consider that just like not just as holidays, but just like one of the great. but I guess did Capra generally I mean, I know it happened one night it was like this huge sweeping victory year, but after that, did he generally struggle with the wins nope. and nominations? I think,
1: he, I think he's a three time winner.
0: Okay, so I was, I was so, as off as I could be. Um, appreciate- but I, Oh wait, yeah, because uh, mr. Washington.
1: Yeah, Mr. Deeds <laughs> goes,
0: yeah. to, Mr. Deeds goes yeah. to town, and yes, that's right.
1: Mr. Smith, Mr. Smith, and Mr. Deeds. Mr.
0: Smith goes to Washington. Yes, the right. the misters, right. the Mister um, expanded universe. I was going to ask also though about that singing in the rain. That's a crazy one to me. I didn't realize that, but also because I always had this perhaps incorrect belief that movies about Hollywood connected. For obvious reasons, because even it's not just Hollywood celebrating itself, it's it's that that's what the people know. Like you said, it's taste. So it's like if if you're telling these dramatic stories about the world that most of the voting body is extremely familiar with, it may connect in a way that other things don't. And so I always just assumed like, well, that that makes sense. But singing in the rain, that is as as Hollywood as it gets. Totally. And
1: the only rationale that I can offer for why that movie didn't perform better at the Oscars is that it came only one year after another Gene Kelly musical in American in Paris won best picture. Ah, right. And and even though Sing in the rain is the one that is arguably more beloved by the general audiences. It's it's more lightweight, right than American mm. in Paris, which which has this kind of more of a prestige factor. And whereas Sing in the rain was going for the comedy a, a lot more. So maybe it felt a little bit as i say more lightweight just on the heels of an american embarrassment.
0: this is this is a lot of fun so i want to <laughs> ask you a couple more things but like it, that reminds me of something else that i've often thought with oscars and you are your knowledge is impressive and and it's fun to talk about this but comedy tends not to be considered in the same vein comedy but maybe even other sub other things in that spirit adventure, you know, comic book movies like that. There's a whole thing about what is populist versus what is, you know, more legitimate artistically. And sometimes the Oscars threads this needle. It's this perfect Venn diagram of it. And a lot of times it's completely not. Do you think that there is a case to be made for like a Golden Globe style, like musical and comedy category? Or do you think it's really fine that they're all kind of competing for the same things and different genres just perform differently?
1: I'm okay with there not being a separate musical comedy category at the Oscars cuz it keeps it more pure and also as we've seen over the years there's ways to work around it where movies like The Martian which by the way was not funny but they managed to convince the Golden Globe voters that that should be in the comedy category and then Matt Damon ends up winning for best actor in a comedy for The Martian and he himself even thinks it's ridiculous. So Yeah,
0: uh, yeah, there's a lot of Golden Globes. Problems yeah.
1: <laughs> that we <laughs> that get to can, can of worms. But but I will say it is an utter delight in those rare cases when a comedic film or performance catches the Academy's radar. So when Melissa McCarthy gets nominated for bridesmaids or we're showing A Fish Called Wanda as part of our 31 Days of yeah. Oscar. Kevin Klein won for Best Supporting Actor. And what an exciting moment that was, because who would have thought that that would win an Oscar? It's hilarious, and I'm so glad it did. But that's not something that you see. And when I mentioned broadcast news earlier, I think that movie, I mean, it's, it's a very cerebral comedy, but I think the comedy might have worked, it, worked against it in, in a certain way. But sure, when you look at the movies that are you know nominated lately, it's pretty rare for you know an out and out comedy. I mean, this licorice pizza I mean, it's got some funny moments, sure. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't look up. Well, there you go. That's, a, that's an out and out comedy. Um, so yeah, it's sort
0: of I think it's like you said, the lightness the, the, when you can do when you can do a little comedy, but it's about something people take seriously, like falling in love or the end of the world, or you know, because Doctor. Strangelove is sort of a precursor to don't look up sort of. So mm-hmm. there's a sense of like, it's, it's important enough. Like we're laughing, but this is important enough for us to recognize <laughs> sometimes the idea is like the Marx brothers were not going to win Academy Awards, whether right. or not how, no matter how important or excellent the movies are. Right.
1: Yeah. And that's too bad because, but, but they still get their due, uh, just yes. not the Academy necessarily.
0: Well, and you have, um, I mean, Tootsie is on the list. There there's, you go. there's plenty of things that have, just looking through The Adventures of Robin Hood, which is not a comedy, but is a great adventure, lighter movie. The Philadelphia Story is another example. So there are definitely examples, but I always feel like you're, you're not at an advantage if you're in those genres to, to win those kinds of awards. True. Do you feel in general that TCM is you know doing this, this one month, but, but around the rest of the year, you're not specifically focused on Oscars, Oscar winners. They're just a part of the mix. Do you feel that the catalog of classics is predominantly Oscar-related? Is it a just... Is it? It's not something people think about, but we kind of, as a general population, we equate Oscar with classic. Um, you and I, you answered earlier about movies that are classics that have nothing to do with Oscars, but the general library that's pulled from how much of it is is a word movie? Do you have a general sense?
1: I think, by and large, all you know, most of the tried and true classics are definitely movies that either got nominated or won. And it's pretty rare. I mean, one of my favorite movies of all time is *The Man Who Came to Dinner* from the early nineteen forties. A, a really great comedy that did yeah. not get any great nomination.
0: Moss and Hart play.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. So yeah, I mean, in fact, the, I've seen on Twitter someone, someone on TCM was like, "Oh, Dave Cargill, all he ever does is talk about what what nominations and Oscars it won." And well, well, sorry, that's what I care about. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I do think it's there are there are times as you watch TCM, so you know, there are times where we focus on horror movies or ed- yes. some adventure movies or genres that didn't really speak to the Academy by and large, right? So yes, th- so there are some true classics that didn't get nominations. But for the most part, the if I'm doing a big movie, my intro or outro is going to have an Oscar component to it because that's what I find interesting. And I think that's what helps contextualize movies and helps us understand how they were received at the time by the people in the industry.
0: Yeah. And I think that, that when you're including nominations, it's a big enough. Nominations across all the board, you know, I see another one here, like uh, She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, which is a movie that you wouldn't think about, I mean, I love that movie, but you wouldn't think about it as like a great example of screenwriting or maybe even some of the acting, but although I like some of the acting and the screen, either way that it's a beautiful technicolor movie and that's why. And so it, it is sort of like your library is filled with movies that are excellent in different ways because there's enough ways to recognize excellence through these nominations that it's not like they all fit one sort of stream.
1: It's true. And I love to, particularly in an intro, But listen, I know that a lot of people who are watching TCM, they're watching a movie that they've seen before, but Mm. I also like to think that there are people who are watching every movie, even Casablanca for the first time. So I know I have to speak to them too. So I take great pleasure in pointing out some of the categories that a movie has been nominated in right as people are about to start watching it so that they can pay attention to it. And my favorite thing ever is to introduce a movie that got one nomination for like a supporting performer and then ended up winning. So, you know, something like Key Largo where mm. Claire Trevor was the only nominee from nomination from the movie and she won or the VIPs where Margaret Rutherford was the only nomination and she won. I think it's, that's super fun to me because I would love to, as I'm watching a movie like that for the first time, just have, binoculars on for that one person's performance and really look at it and see how it's crafted and and how it fits into the whole piece and try to understand why it was the winner despite the movie getting no other nominations that year. To me that's super fun.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I think that that's a great example. I feel like those are both like such strong presences in the TCM rotation. <laughs> yeah. But with that idea of context that like, who was Claire Trevor? What was her career up to that point? Why was it that it was kind of like one of those, it was time. And she did yeah. like knock it out of the park and like she had been around and she'd done a lot of good movies. And, and, and yet I, I will say being a regular watcher, there are a few of my great TCM movie experiences were like, huh, well, I've never seen the sweet smell of success and it's on now. So I should watch it and suddenly blown away. How did I never see this movie? It's incredible. You know? And that's okay. There are and, so
1: many gems. Yeah, there's no shame to not having seen something. And people, I think people are so quick to be like, what, you've never seen this or that? Right. Okay, so, so watch <laughs> right. it now. It's still the same movie. It would have been if you watched it 10 years ago. That's okay.
0: Yes. And you can pretend that you saw it when you were in the womb <laughs> and you <laughs> knew right. and you always knew. About all the great movies ever made. No, I mean, there are surprises and I think the context, sometimes there's something so interesting you guys can weave into your intros and outros that even the film student didn't know because we don't, we can't read every book about every movie and every piece of trivia and, you know, who who would have been cast or what almost happened or, you know, things
1: well, like yeah, that. And for me, that's the fun of it. Because, I mean, as you're saying, you just alluded to this, there are some films that are in what you just called the TCM rotation, right? There are films that we do show with some frequency. I mean, I've introduced the movie Them, mm-hmm. which is about, you know, killer radioactive ants probably five or six <laughs> times. And it got to be a joke. I'm like, really, Them again? But because our programming department is so brilliant at the way that they theme these movies and group them together, it allows us to approach a movie in a different way and from a different angle than we have necessarily introduced it before. So if I'm talking about a movie in the context of the Oscar race, I'm focusing on that. But if it's a a day about a certain director, I'm really focusing on that because the intros are two minutes long. They're not that long. It allows us to- Right,
0: it's a quick snippet of something.
1: Exactly, which I like.
0: Uh, Yeah, you bring up something. Rio Bravo another strong rotation movie and a beloved Western and one that I've seen introduced and I've watched many times on TCM. And I think there was a recent time where Ben Mankiewicz had a couple of guys who wrote a book about Dean Martin to help him introduce it. It's just stuff that I never knew, like about Dean Martin, about his friendship with John Wayne, about like making that particular movie where he was, you know, there was no time in any of those other many, many intros to talk just about Dean Martin because there's so many other things to talk about with that movie. It's relationship to High Noon, for example. Like, so I think that you guys, you do such a great job contextualizing that even the repeat viewing, it offers something new. And if, and if someone Kind of clicks that lens on for you beforehand, like, "Hey, check out like you said about this performance, or check out this part, this time. Think about what's going on with Dean Martin, or think about you know this this aspect of this film." It's films, yeah,
1: so by the way. You know how many Oscar nominations Rio Bravo had? I have no idea, but I'm thinking you're going to say zero. Zero.
0: <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. it's another zero, yeah. and it's that's that's cr- Yeah, that is like. God, how many lists of best Westerns ever is that one on? I know right. uh, Quentin Tarantino often says it's like his favorite movie.
1: Well, there you go. Amazing. I mean, and that shows you that, you know, something that might not have done exceptionally well in the year it came out. And this happens a lot with Westerns. I love Ride the High Country with Joel McRae and Randolph Scott, kind of more of a yes. later Western in the 19, early 60s, no Oscar nominations. But we show it all the time. People love it. And that shows up on people's list of the best Westerns of all time, too.
0: That, one is, that is one that I saw, again, for the first time on TCM, loving Westerns and absolutely adored it because yeah. it's such a good end of the West Western. It's those two guys, like, peaking. It's great. Great movie. Yeah. Great director in the context of that career as well. We could talk forever on the different movies, I I feel. But the last thing I kind of wanted to ask is sometimes people look at, I'm thinking about like something like The Apartment and Billy Wilder, and we talked about another example of this before, maybe with Claire Trevor, but a person will be nominated or win a bunch or win a bunch having been nominated a lot. And it's almost like, well, this is kind of for a backlog of things. And that's a phenomenon that audiences consider. Do you think that that, is often the case that someone is it's something or someone is winning because there's like a, a recognition of the work departed in Martin Scorsese. And, you know, do you is or do you think it's just no, it's pretty pretty much you can't win unless people really love that specific thing.
1: I think I really do think by and large a win is for the specific performance. I really do. Of course, mm. you know, there's the Paul Newman win or the Al Pacino win, which you know people I know have have an issue with for *Son of a Woman*, where it did feel like you know kind of a career achievement award. But I also think that you you know a lot of times they are just looking at the actual performance. And you know, I remember the year that Christoph Waltz won for his second Oscar for Django. And when yeah. I was doing my predictions, I think I had him last because I thought, oh, he just won two or three mm-hmm. years for another Quentin Tarantino movie, they're not going to do it again. And I wasn't even thinking about how they might feel about the performance. And that was such a bad way to look at it because then he ended up winning and proving us to us all that it doesn't, they don't really necessarily think of it that way. I mean, if Olivia Colman wins again, or if this year, or if Nicole yeah. Kidman wins again, I think it's going to be one of the two of them. Well, each of them already has an Oscar.
0: You're right. Because it's not, it's not a hive mind. We make the mistake of thinking that they will, will like get together and say like, well, we just awarded so-and-so, but everybody is just like, what did they love? Scent of a Woman. He's, he's great in Scent of a Woman, you know? Like, I mean, it's maybe, is it his best performance? I don't know. But like, it's, yeah, I know there's always some like, well, he's winning for all the, all the other stuff, but you're right. The Apartment is an amazing movie. So of course. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, Dave, thank you so much for doing this. I'd love to have you on again, anytime, really. It's fun to talk about movies with you and thank you to TCM and we'll encourage people to check out the month and just check out stuff on TCM in general.
1: Thanks, George, it was a pleasure.
0: Thank you so much, Dave, for coming on the podcast. Thanks everyone for listening. I feel like I have really evolved a little bit when it comes to the Academy Awards because I've started to recognize that this is how movies, or one of the ways I should say, that movies make their mark historically and stick with us. Of course, we are going to always love and talk about movies that have nothing to do with the Academy Awards and are great. And of those, there are many. God, just in the last few years, I keep thinking about Nightmare Alley and Uncut Gems and movies that I absolutely love that have just no presence in the awards shows and that to me will always be something of a uh, condemnation of the whole idea of them but that being said movies being recognized by the community is a great way to bring attention to all kinds of movies for people who might not have seen them otherwise so maybe we take away from today that there are things we can love even in things that we hate thanks so much for listening